Well, good morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And can we thank Kara for, for leading us this morning? And Carrie, so great to have them. You know, there were several people who, between the services, were asking me, say, Pastor Bob, what's going on with the band? I mean, can we have we had to have massive budget cuts and we can no longer afford to have a full band anymore? Well, no, I want to, that has nothing to do with that. Actually, what we've decided to do with the band is we had a really cool Hunger Games style uh, audition and Kara won. And uh, so from now on, you, you know, that's, that's just how it's going to, how we're going to roll. No, actually, I, I'm bringing that up because, uh, because I didn't want you to think it was anything financial or anything like that, because I actually have something really, really cool to share with you. Um, what I had to share with you is something that was shared with our session, our Council of Elders, just the other night. And that is that, that we have been so blessed as a church. And I wanted to share this with you all because we've been studying the story of Abraham and Abram, the same person, Abram, Abraham, in the book of Genesis. And one of the things that God said to Abram is that he would bless Abram to be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to bless you so richly that you're going to be able to bless other people with what you have. And, and beloved friends, this is, this is something God is doing through us. He has actually blessed this congregation so richly that we are able to continue and to an extraordinary level continue to bless others. Let me just give you some, some numbers to, to illustrate what I'm saying. This year, um, through the Lord's blessing, through His providence and sovereignty, and through your generosity, your trusting in Him, this year, it was reported to us the other night at the Stewardship and Finance Committee meeting that we, have, we actually took in $1,372,000 more than our operating and ministry budget this year. So, yeah, look, give me a give me a woohoo or a yeah, there you go, something like that. I mean, you know, I know other churches say amen. You know, Presbyterians when we get really excited, we say indeed. You know, whatever, however you want to do it. But but I mean, that's really extraordinary. So let me let me tell you what that means. That means that beyond the lights, beyond the the you know, beyond insurance, beyond you know, salaries, beyond um, all the ministries and programs and curriculum and everything that we buy, beyond everything that we do here, we raised approximately 24% more than we needed for all that. And, and when our session was asked the other night, what do we want to do with this money? We decided we're going to really lean into that third part of our motto, which is to love the city. And so 100% of that is actually going out the door again to our mission partners to bless the city and to bless our neighborhood and the nations. And so that is just an extraordinary thing. Just to break it down for you, that's going to go to local mission, global mission, church planting, and then a, we have a category called benevolent oversight, which we also call the opportunity fund, which is one of those one of those areas where we where we put a little money away so that if something new and exciting, now I'm not talking about like new and exciting like a new boiler. I'm talking about new and exciting like a new mission opportunity comes up and we have some, some cash on hand to do something with that. But it is just an exciting thing. It is an exciting blessing. And we're just so blessed. Now, again, that, that doesn't mean stop. We're not saying, oh, we're good. We don't need any more, you know, we don't need any more generosity. But we, what we are saying is that that is an extraordinary way. That is an, an extraordinary amplification of what God's doing through, through local missions, through global missions, through church planting through all of these th different things. And we're so honored that God has, has given us the opportunity to be a part of everything he's doing here. And so I just wanted to bring that up because, again, we are, we are studying a man about whom God said, you are blessed to be 
a blessing. And right now, this congregation, I want you to feel what it means to, to be blessed, to be a blessing to so many other people in the city, but also to those who come here seeking to know him better, seeking to be connected to him more deeply. It's just a, a beautiful thing. And, and it's good that we're, we're studying this right now because, especially today, because, you know, whenever we are, whenever we're blessed in a powerful way, whenever we feel like we've really got momentum and we feel like things are happening and everything's, everything's clicking and we're firing on all cylinders, that's a point for us to kind of check ourselves and say, okay, what is God calling us to do? How is God directing us? And today we're actually going to be talking about uh, what I think is a very, a very controversial subject. Now, you've been thinking, oh, great, we, we talk about controversial subjects every week, but I'm not talking about politically controversial. I'm not talking about publicly controversial. I'm not talking about, you know, something that is economically controversial or, you know, it's not even something that I think would be particularly newsworthy. I'm talking about something that is, that is particularly personally controversial, not because you take criticism about it from other people, because it's usually something we all deal with, and that is the issue of patience. And we may think, oh, well, that's not a big deal. With everything going on in our world, you're going to talk about patience? It's, yeah, because patience is one of those underlying problems that kind of fuels a lot of other sins and difficulties and, and challenges that we have. You know, if we were, sometimes if we were more patient, if we would actually wait for God's blessings, we might actually find some, we might find that we have fewer problems and we might discover more joy in God's blessings. And so today, as we continue our study of Abram and Sarai, or as we will read today several times, Abraham and Sarah, we are going to, we are going to be talking about this underlying issue of patience and what it really reflects about who we are and, and how much we trust God. So if you turn to, uh, to chapter 16 of Genesis, we're going to start in the first verse. And this is a, I promise, I'll, we'll unpack this in just a second. So if it doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. We'll come back to it. But it says this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when he, she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is, your power, is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. All flesh is grass, and its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Now, we've been talking about Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at 
the season of Lent through the lens of that particular story. And, and we're going to ask ourselves, what does, what does the story of Abram and Sarah have to say to us during this season of Lent? Now, we all know what the season of Lent is. It started when? Ash Wednesday, just last Wednesday. And it's a 40-day season before Easter to prepare ourselves for Easter, to prepare ourselves for that celebration, to, to think deeply about what Jesus Christ did. But if you get underneath sort of the events and the, 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 the fasts and the, and the services and everything like that, Lent is really about two things. Lent is really underneath about two things. It's about understanding and anticipation. It's about first understanding how much we need God. It's about facing the reality that we are way more sinful and way more selfish to ourselves, to others, to, to, uh, to other people, and way more rebellious to God than we ever want to admit. So, so first, Lent is about understanding how badly we need Jesus. It's about understanding how sinful we really are and coming to grips with that so we'll take it seriously. But it's also about anticipation. And it's about appreciating that through the cross and through the resurrection, God loves us and has the power to change our lives. Now consider this. In the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God proved his extreme love for us. He said, this is how far I am willing to go to prove that I love you. And then in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God proved that he has the power to get us through any obstacle, any situation we face, even death. On resurrection morning, God proved that he has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever, and even has the power to make a difference in human history now and forever. And we trust God because we believe that God is real, because we expect that if he has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, he is capable of making a difference in our lives. And so we anticipate him doing great things moment by moment in our world and in our existence. So again, it's about two things. It's about understanding how badly we need Jesus Christ, and it's understanding, it's anticipating what he has done for us. And yet, during Lent, we also feel this, this palpable tension. Historically speaking, we know what Jesus has done for us. And we know that he has the power to make a difference in our lives. And yet, we also feel that we're not there yet, right? I mean, of course, everything that we read about in the Gospels happened approximately 2,000 years ago. But when is it going to land in my life? When is it going to start making a difference in my life? And there's, there's that tension, that now and not yet. I mean, anticipation is a wonderful thing. Expectation is a wonderful thing. But anticipation has a shadow side. And the shadow side of anticipation is impatience. How many of you have a problem with patience? And the rest of you are liars. I mean, right now, how many of you are hoping or praying that God is going to do something about a person, you know, heal them, 
help them understand. It's going to do something about a situation that he's going to, you know, he's going to deal with something or he's going to fix something or heal something or make it happen. You know, we, we know what we want and we know when we want it. And we know what we expect and we know when we expect it. And, and when is it going to happen? And we all know that impatience can get ugly. I remember once when I was coming back from a mission trip in Honduras. This was about 10 years ago. And it was one of those, it was about this time of year. And of course, we were flying through Atlanta, or as I like to think of it, purgatory. <laughs> we're flying through Atlanta, and because of equipment, or because of bad scheduling, or because the crew wasn't in the right place, or whatever it was, it was clear that our flight had been canceled. And they were saying, the Delta, uh, Delta Airlines was saying, you're not getting out of here tonight. Apparently, we were ready, but Delta was not ready when we were. And so we were wondering, okay, so what's going to happen? Well, so everybody, as soon as the announcement is made that the flight has been canceled, everybody starts to line up at the gate counter, you know, the, 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 right there at the gate. And there's this guy up at the front of the line. And you can tell that he is just what my grandmother would have said. He was in a state. He was in a state. And, and he's standing up at the counter saying, and he's saying, you know, this is unacceptable. And he starts to build. This is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. And then like he'd seen it in a video or on TV or on a reality show, he starts saying to the poor ticket agent, is this your problem or is this my problem? Is this your problem or is this my problem? Is this your fault or my fault? Your problem, my problem. Your fault, my fault. And it's like he's berating her, just, just pushing her. It's like somebody told him in like a seminar, you got to be assertive. Just keep pushing it, keep pushing it. And, and all, the rest of us, it's, all the rest of us are saying it's about to be your problem. But, I mean, but he, is, he is just saying, is it your problem or my problem? This is unacceptable. I expect more from Delta Airlines. I paid my money, blah, blah, blah. This is unacceptable. Your problem, my problem. Unacceptable, unacceptable. I mean, he's just going and going. And finally... Airport security came out and dragged him off to some, you know, TSA airport dungeon and waterboarded him or something. I have no idea. We're so, but all we knew is that he was gone and we didn't have to invoke mob justice on him. But it was one of those points, it was like one of the ugliest fits of impatience I'd ever seen because it was clear that he didn't care anything about those ticket agents. He didn't care about anybody in the line. He didn't care anybody about in, the, in that terminal. I think everybody in Terminal C was, was about ready to you know, do something to this fella. But I mean, it was, it was clear that he was utterly, utterly self-focused and his impatience had just gotten the best of him. And I don't know what was on the other end of that flight that he had to get back to, but he obviously just, just went beyond the, the, you know, the norm. And, and that was especially poignant to me because, because I'd just been in Honduras for a week with a medical mission team. And when you juxtapose him to the people that we had just been dealing with all week who walked days to get what we would consider first aid level medical care at times, some of them getting more extreme versions of medical care, but they would walk days and then they would get to the clinic and then they would wait hours and you would never hear a word of complaint. Just gratitude, not to us, but to the Lord that, that, they, that they were at this place where they could be helped. And you juxtapose the guy in the airport and you juxtapose you know, the, the people there. Here's, here's one thing I have to confess though, is even though he was the one acting like that, all of us were impatient. 
I mean, you, you know, you've been in that situation. I've been in that situation where I'm not the one mouthing off, but I could be. You know, it's, I'm, you know I'm, I'm not stomping my foot, but in my heart, <laughs> I'm doing it. We all have issues with patience. You know, we all have a problem there, even as believers, because every day we, we live in that tension of now and not yet, between the promises of God and their fulfillment. And it's hard. We know it. I mean, time and time again, the people in the Bible ask, how long, O Lord? I mean, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long, O God, until you do something? I mean, we want God's blessings now. We want God's answers now. And what happens when we can't wait? Well, then impatience begins to trigger the idols of our hearts. Impatience leads to doubt. And doubt leads to desperation. You know, what happens in desperation? Then we begin to force things to happen in our way. Or it pushes us to despair, where we start giving up on God, start to wonder if he's really going to do this or take care of it. You know, that's what happened in the story of Abram and Sarai. Let's go back and let's break down the story that we just read for a second. Now, again, think contextually. Even after God had singled out Abram to be his instrument of his blessing, even after he had brought him to the land of Canaan, even after he had saved him from Pharaoh in Egypt, even after he had made him rich, even after he had defeated all of those Mesopotamian kings in battle, even after God had brought him through all of that, Abram still doubted whether or not God would fulfill his promise to give him children. Even with all of that, God had promised Abram that he and Sarai would have a child of their own to be his heir. And God had even said, we heard about this just last week, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. I mean, there it is. And then if you'll remember, God led Abram through this supernatural ritual of, of, of blood and fire to seal his promise with a commitment. It's like one of those old Western movies where the, where the cowboy or the pioneer cuts his palm and the Comanche warrior cuts his palm and they, they shake on it and they make a blood oath. God had made a blood pact with Abram saying, I am going to fulfill my promise and I've even sealed it in my blood. I've put my name on the line. My reputation is at stake throughout the universe. By the time Abram said, well, that's good enough. But then a few more years passed. And 10 years after Abram and Sarai had arrived in Canaan, they still had no children. By this point, Abram was 85 years old. Now, Sarai blamed herself. And so she decided to take matters into her own hands. And so we just read that Sarai had an Egyptian maid named Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let, her, to, to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. And Abram agreed to do what Sarai, Sarai said. Now, guys... 
I'm telling you, feels like a trap. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had your wife or somebody important in your life say, well, you just go ahead and do it, and you just, no, nope, 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 nope. Whatever, whatever filter, whatever switch, whatever discretionary button was not pushed in Abraham's life was off that day. Because she, she gives to them this, this indecent proposal, and he takes her up on it. Because apparently they reckoned that, that a child by Sarai's slave would be just as good as a child by Abram and Sarai. Why did they do it? Why did they take that step? Why this ridiculous and, 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 and really indecent step? It's because, in their estimation, God was moving too slowly. I mean, after all, how long were they supposed to wait for God to fulfill his promises? I mean, I, I guess that they believe what we all believe, that God helps those who, who help themselves. I mean, that's biblical, right? I mean, it's in second hesitations. And yet we all believe it like it's Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. You know, we may, not, we may all laugh that we don't believe that's in Scripture, but we all follow it like it's one of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that Hagar got pregnant and gave birth to a child named Ishmael. But instead of solving the problem, it created an even bigger mess. I mean, look, at, look back again. Sarai got jealous of Hagar and resented her, and Hagar began to treat her mistress with contempt. And Sarai told Abram, you know, this is your fault. I put my maid in bed with you, and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. I'm not even going to get into the marital counseling issues here, pointing the fingers. all that. We just know this is bad. This arrangement, what they thought would fix everything, wrecked the whole family. I mean, can't you imagine Abram and Sarah? I wanted God's problem, promise so badly that they tried to force it themselves. And it created contempt and jealousy and betrayal and suspicion because, as we would soon discover, doing it that way was not doing it God's way. And so 15 years later, the Lord came to Abram and said, that, which y'all did back there, that was not my plan. And he says, I will bless Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her. And she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now at that point, Abram just fell on his face and laughed. I mean, it had been so long. He said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, the son that he'd had with Hagar. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And what's interesting is that Sarah was eavesdropping at the tent door behind him. And when she heard this, when she heard God say this, she laughed too. She actually laughed at God. But it wasn't the kind of laughter that comes from joy. It's the kind of laughter that comes from cynicism. That humorless laughter that comes from someone who feels like they've been duped and refuses to be burned again. She was cynical. But then the Lord said to Abram, 
as if he, as if God didn't know she was right behind the tent flap or something. The Lord said to Abram, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know who else he said that to? Or the angel said that to? Mary. Nothing's impossible with God. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And one year later, one year later, God blessed Abram and Sarah with a son. Abram was 100 years old, and it had been 25 years since God first came to him. They called his name Isaac, which means he laughs, because when Isaac was born, God turned Sarah's laughter from the laughter of cynicism to the laughter of joy. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God turned that cynical laughter into the laughter of joy. Now, how does this all wrap back around to impatience? Well, some people think that impatience is a minor thing. But impatience can be deadly. Have you ever been impatient in a decision that you regretted later? I mean, just ask anybody who's ever tried to outrun a train at a railroad crossing if impatience is a good idea. Impatience can be deadly. Impatience is destructive. Impatience may seem like a little thing, but so is a spark that ignites a prairie fire. It's a wedge that drives us away from the very people that we should love the most. And it rubs our relationships raw, especially with the people that we love. You know, when people don't meet our expectations, or when they don't act as we think they should, or they don't treat us like we think we deserve to be treated, what happens? We lose patience with them. You know, I frequently have people come to me all the time and tell me that they, they need me to pray for patience with a friend or a coworker or a child or a parent and a spouse or, or a spouse. And I'll say, ooh, be careful when you pray for patience because when you pray for patience, God gives you someone to practice patience with, so you'll get it. It's like an exercise or an experiment or something. But here's the thing. Loving people takes time. Helping people takes time. Forgiveness takes time. A friend and mission partner, Carl Caton, often says that relationships move at the speed of trust. And you know what? Trust takes time. On the other hand, impatience suffocates real relationships with people. Impatience can also serve as a wedge to divide us from God. Impatience isn't just an annoyance or an inconvenience. The kind of impatience that we see in this story is impatience based on doubt. It's based on fear. And it's a temptation to lose hope in the Lord. And what happens when we lose hope in the Lord? We take matters into our own hands. Again, what do we say? God helps those who help themselves. We take in our own hands that which God promised to do for us. It's as if Satan again tempts us with the question, did he really say that he would do this? 
First question he asked in the Garden of Eden, you know, did he really say that he would do this? Or did he, or did he really mean, did God really mean for you to, for, that he would do this? Or did he really mean that he wanted you to do this? I mean, come on. Did he really mean that he was going to do it? Or that you were going to have to do it to make it happen? And what do we hear in our ears, in our hearts? Oh, he really meant that I was supposed to do it, right? When we despair that God is not working fast enough or, the, or that he's not working in the way that we want, we always take matters into our own hands. And impatience can lead to a lack of faith, also known as trust in God. It can lead to desperation. And beloved, a sin committed in desperation is just as much a sin committed under normal circumstances. So how could Abram and Sarai fall prey to desperation even after God promised them a child time and time again? Well, here it is, and see if this at all sounds familiar. The reason they fell for it is because they got so obsessed with the promise that they forgot the one who made the promise. Anticipation turns into impatience when the gift becomes more important than the giver. Anticipation turns into into impatience when the gift becomes more important than the giver. They got to the point where the idea of having a baby became more important to them than serving the God who had called after them. And what happens when the gift becomes more important than the giver? Then God becomes just a means to an end. Abram and Sarai got impatient with God, and they thought that they could find a shortcut to God's promise. You know, one of our greatest temptations is believing that we can't wait for God and that we have to take matters into our own hands instead of trusting Him. And so we try to find the quickest way to wealth through corruption or cheating or exploitation, or the quickest way to pleasure, or the quickest way to fame, or the quickest way to victory by cheating or or something like that, the quickest way to peace through some kind of chemical or drug or alcohol or even suicide. And And what ends up happening is that we compromise God's way or we cross God's boundaries, or we compromise other people, either through relationships or through justice, to get the things that we want. Again, think about the guy in the airport who cared more about getting his way and getting home than he did about anything or anyone else. But I want you to hear this. Listen to me. When we try to find a shortcut to God's gifts, we often short-circuit our own joy. When we try to find a shortcut to God's gifts, we often short-circuit our own joy, whether that's financially or relationally or in any other field, both on a personal level or even as a church. When we become impatient about God's promises, that's when we begin to make mistakes. We want this to happen now. Surely if it's a kingdom adventure, it must happen now. We, we can't wait for God. We can't take time to pray about this. We just need to have open in prayer, pastor, then let's just do it. Let's get to work. How about instead of saying, let's get to work, how about we say, let's get to pray. Let's get to prayer. Both on a personal level and as a church, we become impatient. 
And how many mistakes have been made because we've been impatient? You know, often we confuse impatience with decisiveness. Ever felt that? That people confuse, confuse impatience with decisiveness? But there's an old saying. It goes like this. When we act in haste, we repent or we regret, or regret in leisure. Think about that. When we act in haste, we have all the time in the world to regret what we should have done. If God has promised, he will be faithful. And here's something that's really, really hard for us to hear. Sometimes we want something so badly that we assume what we want is what God wants for us. And so we push. So we pull and we reach and we strive and we sweat and we even pray earnestly. But sometimes what we want is not what God wants for us. As a matter of fact, in trying to make it happen, by demanding that God say yes, sometimes we drown out God's no. Sometimes God answers our prayers by saying no. Sometimes he answers by saying not yet. But here's what I believe. I believe that when God says no to our heartfelt, earnest prayers, it's because he has something better planned for us, just as he did for Abram and Sarai. And patience allows us to see God's yes fulfilled. And it also allows us to hear God's no when he says it. After Abram and Sarai tried to force God's hand, it took 15 years for them to get back to a place where God could use them again. And yet God is faithful. And even though they were not faithful, he was. He was faithful to Abram and Sarah, and he was faithful to Hagar and Ishmael. We'll talk about that next week. That's our sermon next week, so don't worry. We haven't just left them out there. But even though they were impatient with God, God was patient with them. And after 15 years, God used them to start the process of saving the world. And I often feel that at the end of a sermon, I'm supposed to give you something to do. But what if I told you that today I think that sometimes God is telling us to do nothing? You can't really mean that God's telling us to do nothing. Well, I'm not saying really do nothing. But what I am saying is sometimes God wants us to wait. To wait for Him. To wait and pray. To really pray. That's often way more important than doing what we think is important. Because God is never late. He is always right on time. God wants to turn our cynical laughter into laughter of joy. And believe me when I say this, because I don't know what, why he brought you here today. I don't know what, what you brought in here with you today. But whatever it is, God's already working on it. He is working on it right now. You may not even have even started praying over it yet, but, but you're here today because he wants you to know that he's already on the job. The Holy Spirit is praying for us with sighs too deep for words. And he may not change your circumstances, 
but he may change your heart. He has been patient with us. Can we be patient with him? I'm going to ask Kara to come on back up. And as she's coming up, I want you to think about something. As our prayer team is assembling over here, I know that there are people in here this morning who are just dying for God to do something, to, to make it happen, to, to fix that situation or heal that person or, or repair that moment. And I'm just going to ask you to trust him. If you're in one of those acute moments right now, I'm going to ask you to go to one of our ladies in the prayer team and just ask them to pray with you. Ask them to, to with you, ask him, God, Lord, help me to wait. Give me patience. Lord, I'm not going to believe that you want me to do this instead of you. I'm going to wait for your leading. And I want you to trust him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be patient enough to wait on you to work out your purposes, to show us when to move and when to stand still, to help us to understand, O oh Lord, when to pray, when to walk, when to hold, when to release. We ask you, O oh Lord, in all things to give us such an awareness of your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit, that we will not lose sight of the giver in favor of the gift, that we would be more obsessed with the blesser than the blessing. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us in the name of Jesus to wait upon you. We pray these things in his name. Amen.